Hello and welcome to He's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about the second in uh, Small Axe, mm-hmm. the Steve McQueen anthology series about black life in Britain. Uh, this one's called Lover's Rock. Mm. It's shorter than Mangrove was, as I think they all are. So if Mangrove was two hours, this is an hour and eight minutes. Mm. Which, as we were discussing just now, is still feature length. Mm. I looked up you know, what actually counts as feature length, and according to the BFI and the uh, American Motion Pictures Academy... Um, it's 40 minutes qualifies, which right. I think we would all consider pretty short. So mm. I think there's a colloquial definition to feature film mm. that kind of goes along with what we consider feature film. But this is something you could show in a cinema. Yes. you know, And I think it was. I mean, these films were premiered at Tribeca, I think. Yes. Um, so you could... In New York. So you could see this in a cinema. This is a really, I think, a re- this is a sensual experience. And it's... Steve McQueen, I think we've talked before about, he has so much care over his images and, he's, and he, his images are so expressive, but this has a different quality to it than his previous films, I think, and Mangrove. It's very sensuous, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so we were talking before about the televisual and, you know, the cinematic and whatever. So whereas in the previous one, I welcomed kind of what I think television brought to the drama, so to speak, yeah? Mm. In that it invited it to be more explicit and accessible. More melodramatic, more accessible, more exposition, mm-hmm. you know, and so on. This, I really wish I'd seen it on a big screen mm. because, you know, just that swaying of motion, you know, that, that you get, I really would have liked to have been enveloped in it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was already enveloped in it, to be honest. I mean, you know, I thought it was ravishing to watch on, you know, my television screen. I lost track of time. Um, I mean, so, so we just briefly said what it, what it is, and it's a much simpler thing than uh, Mangrove was. It's a house party. Yes. Um, actually, it's a birthday party. You find out at a certain point in it. The girl in the red dress, it's her birthday. And it's a house party in, in London. And the film spends a lot of time just showing you dancing. It's the camera moves through the dance floor. There are slow songs. There mm. are energetic songs. You meet a couple of characters. You get to know people. So the main, you meet Patty and Marta, um, yes. the two girls. And then Frank, I think Franklin, and his friend who they get involved with or try to pull them and so on. And you see characters who recur throughout the film and you move in and out of different rooms, different relationships, but it all comes back to the dance floor that, that mm. night and you just spend so much time there. And like I say, I lost track of time because I sort of think, I can't remember which song it was, but you're in your, your fourth or fifth sort of experience on the dance floor and I'm going, I have no idea how much time is left in this film, mm. really. And actually it turned out to be quite early on. There was a lot left. I thought it could be 10 minutes from the end. I have mm. no idea. And, and I just... I got completely enveloped in it. Mm. Completely. Yes, I did as well. I thought it was wonderful. It's almost like a different or new kind of musical because actually I would say 90% of the film is watching people dance, really. Yeah. Or watching people on the dance floor. Um, and it's so interestingly filmed. You know, so initially I remember being struck because he's almost just filming hands and shoulders. So not faces. Not buttocks or legs or... Yeah, kind of, you know, I think the, the It's first... about the girls embracing the guys and with their hands over their shoulders. Yeah, and you see their fingernails and everything. So, you know, for a long time, I mean, kind of that's just kind of, you know, what you see. And then, of course, you know, the film has a rhythm and a pattern that I haven't quite worked out yet. You know, but at a certain point... Uh, you know, so the you know they do kung fu fighting, and then you know the the you see their at least you know from their torsos upwards, 
kind of a great attention to the hands, although in kung fu fighting. And then there was that song, which is just brilliant, and which I now can't remember where... Silly Games? Silly Games, yeah. Mm. Uh, and there, you're really kind of feeling the heat. Yeah, it's Properly kind of, erotic. Yeah, it's like a sexual heat, you know, and you get this kind of lazy but persistent kind of bumping and grinding, you know. And then it's fantastic because at a certain point the song ends, you know, and the the dancers begin to sing it. It's like they don't want to get rid of the emotion mm. yeah, or of the feeling. So they kind of, they continue singing it. And not just like for 10 seconds, but almost like, you know, for another, you know, long time, long time right? And yes. actually that is just so joyous. And they all try and, and hit the high note. Yeah. Including the guys who haven't got hope in hell. I know. It's yeah. just, it really is, I think... It just, every, every, you know, I haven't been to a black party, I suppose, but every kind of experience I've had at a party comes up in this film. You know, it feels, it's really authentically observed. Yes. You know. It's very narratively clever as well. So, you know, because I think it is a house party in which somebody announces their birthday later. So, but yeah, it's clearly a house party. And you begin to see the setup, right? So there are women cooking and... You know, they're yeah. doing the curries and, you know, they're setting up the music box and they're removing the furniture and the, and women the carpets. women sing silly games at the start, don't yeah. they? Uh, and then, you know, there are all kinds of interesting threads, you know. So there are, like, some white skinheads looking menacingly outside. There's a little tiny bit of a potential incident that doesn't develop into one. But actually, that overhangs, doesn't it? Mm. You know, and then also there's a MacGuffin in it. Paddy leaves the party a third of the way through, I would say. Maybe not even that. Yeah, it's early on, yeah. And for the rest of the time, you wonder what's happened to her. Yeah, because yeah. Martha sees her leave, goes out after her, but doesn't see her. Martha sees her leave, goes after her. Then these white skinheads approach her menacingly. Mm. She's basically rescued by this... The bouncer. The bouncer. So from that moment on, the combination of Paddy leaving into the night and her friend experiencing the threat combine into just a feeling of dread about... Yeah, and actually it's one that the film doesn't resolve because, no. you know, you afterwards don't know what's happened to Paddy. For all you know, she's in church. Yeah, she's gone home and is on her way to church like her friend. But actually, that overhand, you keep thinking about her mm. know, as, as, as the film unfolds. Um, and then, of course, you know, there is the, you know, the sexual kind of innuendo with, you know, with some of it is really sexual violence. There's a rape in the middle of it. Yeah, or right. attempted rape. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a rape, Yeah, kind of. Uh, it's it's more than attempted. It's halfway through <laughs> as uh, Patty comes into the garden and basically saves her, right? So, um, you know, so, so yeah, the, that sense of sexual danger and uh, pervades, really. Um, so all of this stuff is going on, you know, as, like, the music plays and people are swaying and, you know, you're you're caught up in, in feeling, really. Like, there's no other way of putting it. Like, you know, it's really the rhythms and the colors and, you know, I think some of it is made into slow motion because 
you know, you feel like almost like a kind of a palpitation of the image, really. It's just beautiful. Made me think of um, uh, if Beale Street could talk. In uh-huh. the sense we got in that film of it being all too rare that you get to see so much joy yes. in a film about black experience or yes. black lives. Yes. Um, you know, so often they focus on um, the, the struggles and the harshnesses and obviously that those are all true. They're there. And yeah. They appear in here to some degree as well. Um, but, you know, that was a film that that was about romance and beauty and mm. and and the joy. Actually, I think Mangrove had some of that as well. You know, you mm. got the sense all the way through of the joy yes. of these people's lives and they keep themselves together and mm. and, and and through the humour and so on. But here, it's it's through the dancing, it's through the eroticism. Yes, and um, and it really is properly erotic. I mean, yes. you know, really, um, it, as you say, that, that there is this wonderful um, eye that the film has for. For body parts and mm. movement and their interactions, so it starts off with the hands, as you say, and that's and that's that has a real eroticism to it. I think mm. the way the women, um, you know, kind of cling on to the guys, mm. and and then it moves down to buttocks and groins grinding against each other, and they really are grinding against each other, mm. as you say. But it, it, as you say, it has that kind of that laziness to it, like it's not an aggressive, mm. you know, sort of thing, but it's there completely. Mm. Yes, and it, and it just takes its time. In fact, it was interesting because I thought. We talked about how Mangrove had space to take its time mm. with shots, especially with shots lingering. Um, and I thought the other things probably aren't going to be like this, being shorter. Mm. But actually, this film has it takes lots of space, mm. takes its time, which I think probably speaks again speaks then to the economy of the story as a whole because it is kind of uh, as a plot, it's kind of threadbare. It leaves things unresolved. It's just kind of sketches in a sense. But it's because it's it's letting itself fill everything in with all of this time spent on the dance floor. To be honest, I think it's almost like a work of genius, really, because you see, it's it's sixty eight minutes. It's not again like the other one. It doesn't have a protagonist, really. Yeah, like I mean, kind of does. I would say as I'd say, Marta is pretty much the, ta- the protagonist. Except there's all these other characters. Yeah, yeah, sure. and there's all these other stories that are being told. Yeah, you know, alongside hers. Uh, so, you know, it is, I think, a multi-protagonist film, yeah. Uh, you can dis- you can distinguish, yeah, between a lot of people uh, in the story. Uh, and they each almost have, like, a story to tell, yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, I thought, you know, that that was amazing. I thought also the way that it brings in so many elements, right, of... So, it's about young people, right, and it's about young people going out, right, you know, and so you have the girls, and then you you have the boys dancing at the end in what is like almost like a macho ritual, yeah, a completely different mm. kind of dance, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, with a completely different kind of energy, and you know, jar rule or whatever, um, you know. So and it has all of these different kinds of threats. It has a threat, you know, from aggressive males to you know, kind of vulnerable black women, right? Like, I mean, one of the guys says, so what, you know how many beatings is it going to take for you and your mother to walk out on your dad or something, right? Mm. You know, yeah, like kind of, th- that's not what the story's about. It's just there, yeah, mm-hmm. as, are, as is so many other things. So you get the feeling, you know, of a, of, of a, of a, of a group of people uh, uh, and, you know, uh, all of these things that kind of uh, um, constitute a world around what is just a night 
what did you make of the Christian symbolism? There's crosses all over the shop. Yes. And non-accidentally, they're shown up. The, the cousin who comes in, who's clearly kind of troubled, and then when he gets onto the dance floor, he's kind of wild and crazy, and actually a guy gives him a spliff to calm him down. Mm. Um, he talks about, he, he's lost his mum, and he says, she just gave me this cross, that's the only thing she left me with. Mm. There's crosses on the walls when the girl who has been assaulted by the guy is sort of upstairs being comforted. There's a cross on the wall behind her. Yes. Cross on the wall over the bed of Marta when she comes home. Yes. And um, when she gets on the bus in the morning, the guy's getting off with a huge cross. Yes. That he folds out and all sits the morning of church. Mm. So this isn't this is a this is a motif. Yes, I don't understand it. <laughs> I mean, no. I know it's there, and maybe all it's signifying is you know there's a night of dancing, and the next morning it's church, right? Mm. You know, so uh, and it's obviously like a Christian community. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and one yeah. that believes, and one in which, you know, that sexuality and the night out and so on is not in contradiction with religion the way that it would be, you know, in other Calvinist or more um, American, you know, mm. style Pentecostals or whatever, which are, you know, uh, anti dancing or anti music or whatever. Yeah? I mean, here, yeah. you know, the dancing and the sex and the good time and the food coexists with. Being a Christian, you're not denying yourself pleasure. Christianity is not about denying yourself pleasure. Um, but other than that, I don't know if it means something else. I mean, when the, when the protagonist comes in at the end, yeah, uh, you see this wonderful shot of a shadow, yeah, over, uh, being she projected, climbs. yeah, and there's a cross there, mm-hmm. right, in the center of it, and you know, um, and so it's a cross and a shadow, and then. I think the wallpaper is flowers or something. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, it's like a kind of a, 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 a well, it's a more, I was going to say colorful, but it's muted colors. Yeah, but it's almost like you know small flowers or something. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what to make of that, except yeah. that it's there. It's overhangs. Yeah, I kind of feel uh, the same way. I was thinking the whole time about kind of like these are, these are the kind of parties where people meet and you know get together with someone who they may be with for the rest of their life and yes. there's a kind of I think the, the sort of Christian symbolism speaks to the community kind of feel mm. of that and the kind of the sense of like you know there are so many people in your community and this is where you pair up and there, there seems to be it felt like there was something connected about that about yeah. them being connected under the church as well Except um, that everyone you, goes to church to wake up. It's time for church. Is the last line of the film. Yes. Mm. Except that the film also shows you a diversity within that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so you see all those Rastas, yeah, that are there as well, and then you also see um, Muslims, yeah, kind of, you know, the women all covered up, yeah, with mm. her glasses, kind of also dancing, yeah, towards the end of the party. She's with a tall mm. bouncer, mm. yeah. Um, so I'm not sure what to make of that. Yeah, it reminds me. Of, I, I made the same observation when we saw um, Queen and Slim, that the Slim character was a Christian and had and he had the cross, and there was there was Christian symbolism that popped up in that film. And again, I kind of said, I suppose it's something that I don't exactly know how to make anything of, but it is there, and it seems to be important in black culture in a way that's different to white cultures. I don't know. Um, 
So it depends, like, what cultures where. I mean, I would imagine, yes. you know, the church would be absolutely central to, like, you know, yeah. white rural cultures in America or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. And that was set in America. This is set in Britain. And that's obviously a difference. Yeah. So um, I don't know what to make of it. But to be honest, I also didn't find it the most interesting thing. So, you know, when, when we finished watching it, my first impulse is, oh, my God, I want to watch it again. You know, and kind of and part of the reason why I wanted to watch it again was because I wanted to know how the movement and the images and the editing yeah, work together with the music. Yeah, like it has a rhythm and the whole thing is clearly, you know, based on rhythms, really. So, you know, my main interest was that, yeah, how, you know, because it's such an incredible achievement, I think, yeah in almost like pure cinema <laughs> yeah it's kind of you know it's about sounds and and images and textures and editing yeah that you know convey these feelings to you really because i mean often what you're seeing is something that is almost abstract that it's disembodied right mm. you know i mean these headless legless pieces of clothing swaying with maybe a hand yeah that mm. you see right or subsequently you know, just like uh, you're seeing torso, you're seeing crotches, yeah, like, mm. you know, and then it moves up or it moves down. But yeah, it's almost again that you're, you're what you're watching. I mean, you, you could almost choose to watch it abstractly, mm. right? You know, because also these, these are encased in late 70s or early 80s. I mean, I heard someone mention that it was set in 1980, right? Which would, you know, well, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, we were saying late 70s, early 80s. Um, so, yeah, you know, those the texture of those clothes, yeah, kind of that cloth, it has a particular, yeah, so to watch them moving, there's something kind of abstract about that and, you know, and beautiful, mm. really, I think. Yeah, and then, of course, you move and you see faces and so on, but it's extraordinary how often, yeah, yeah. what you're seeing is almost an abstraction or, you know, kind of something that becomes disembodied from the larger thing mm. in, in motion, you know, and, and to music. Yeah. Uh, I found that really fascinating. So, so you know, the religious aspect is not uh, the first thing that would have... Mm, yeah, yeah, no, no, it wasn't the first thing. But I noticed that, you know, and I think I noticed it because of the fact that it sits there waiting to be looked at. Yes. And <laughs> I don't have a grip on it, you know? No, um, I, don't, I don't either, actually. I don't understand quite what role that plays in the narrative. Um, you know, that might be something to look for again. Yeah. Uh, and actually, maybe people who are listening will have ideas and kind of suggest them to us. Um, I thought your observation about, you know, identity and how, you know, towards the end, when the couple ends up at the garage and the boss walks in, yeah, and all of a sudden the guy has a Cockney accent rather than a West Indian accent, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, so the guy that she's been uh, getting off with the whole film, who has been trying to pull her in, is West Indian, as far as I know. Whereas she uh, was born in this country, she tells him, grew up here, you can hear it in her accent, she's a Cockney, mm. which is Londoner. Um, so they leave the party, having spent the party together, and in the morning, or I suppose yeah, early morning, isn't it, they go to the um, garage where he obviously works, and the boss comes in, is a white fella, and basically tells him off. Yes. For taking a girl, they said that they're in the place. But I noticed and went back and checked um, after we watched it that he is no longer a West Indian at that point. Mm. He's got a, a fairly broad London accent, so he's obviously making one of them up. And because the thing is, 
it's interesting that she, Marta, um, slips into a West Indian accent a lot throughout mm. the film. And I think it's kind of like, um, like you hear it in like Lenny Henry, or you also hear it in people from India, or, or rather children of people who from India mm. who have been born in this country and grew up in this country, but slip into their parents' accents, mm. you know, when they're doing impressions of them, that sort of thing. Lenny Henry does it a lot, and you hear it from, uh, from people from, like, from Asia as well quite a bit. And um, and like it's obviously a thing that you you get kind of good at, right? Mm. You're doing impressions of your parents, sort of, uh, you know, disciplining you or whatever. And that's what she's doing here. So there are a lot of West Indians around as well as people from England. And she's slipping back and forth between accents, and you don't get the sense that she's like. Well, she is kind of lightly mocking it. Sometimes you get the mm. sense, you know, she's kind of lightly mocking, picking up on on uh, on the guy's accent and talking back to him in kind of patois. But yeah, it's quite a surprise when you get to the garage and the boss shows up and all of a sudden he's talking hmm. with a London accent. Hmm. Um, you know, because obviously that's not he, he. That's not how he speaks to his boss. And I mean, from, I got the sense that oh, that is, is his real accent then, and he's putting it on all night, and that's where he gets to put it on all night. You know, or maybe it's the and, other way around. Maybe you've got to sound that way to be able to survive in London. It's possible. Because, you know, kind of, it definitely adds another layer of foreignness and indeed incomprehension. Yeah. You know. I was uh, surprised that at no point in Mangrove did, did the judges or the barristers make any comment about being not able to understand the defendants mm. when they were talking. I thought yes. that had to come up at some point, but it didn't. Yes. Um, I have trouble understanding some of it. I, I must mm. say, I, I, I did feel that at some moments that I wish I put on the subtitles. You know, and particularly when the cousin comes in and uh, she asks about his mother mm. and says she's dead and, you know, the one who says the cross yeah, yeah. is the only thing I have left. There is some conversation there about why she didn't go visit. Yeah, their cousin, she didn't go visit his mother. Mm. Yeah, uh, the father wouldn't let her was something I kind of gathered. But why? Yeah, so again, it may, might tie into questions of religion. Mm. Yeah, and, uh, you know what the guy's mother did or whatever, I don't know. But there's something suggested there that I didn't quite grasp. Yeah, no, I lost a line or two in, in um, the speed of the dialogue or whatever, but, you know, I kind of... I was cool with it. I think. Yes. Um, well, as I said, I mean, I think this is, like, a major, major work, you know. Yeah. I really like the bouncer character. There's a moment of his that I loved, which is where you've seen him protecting the party, mm. you know, and he's protected... Uh, Marta when she goes out and you know they're, they're, those white guys are um, lining up to attack her basically and then he comes out and they're like no leave it because mm. he's giant and mm. you know just as well even though they're not attacking the party they're not going to go anywhere near him and then the cousin comes in and he's very threatening to the cousin mm. and saying you know you don't cause a fucking mess here mm. or what have you he says me and you me and you and he kind of barks at him which is great um, and then the cousin gets into it with Marta and when he pushes her, he kind of he stabs her with his finger in her chest. And there's a cut away to him getting up, like pushing his chair away. And the girl next to him just goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> but it's this moment where it's like he is fucking on it. Mm. And I love that set, like, why he's doing what a bouncer does. You know, he's doing his job. But it's like, he's because he hasn't looked at him, basically, since he let the cousin go. Mm. And then the cousin got into it with Marta. So, but he's been there the whole time paying attention, waiting mm. for the moment. I, I don't know, I like that moment. Again, it felt like authentically observed, like I've seen that girl, you know. Every kind of experience I've had at a party has de is in here somewhere. That feeling of paranoia, 
mm. when you don't know anyone there, or you're trying to move around, you don't even know where you are. It has that that feeling of I really hate this and I'm going to go home. I've mm. had that and that's in here. Mm. You know, the feeling of getting lost on the dance floor in your own movements. I've mm. had that. The feeling of getting lost in someone else. The wailing for the toilet. <laughs> familiar for women, I think. But yeah. Anyway, um, I think it's, you know, I think it's an extraordinary achievement. It's amazing. And I would love to see it again, actually. I think it's also, what's the word? I was going to say radical. It's not radical. But, you know, I think this film, formally and stylistically, uh, would have seemed new and strange and, yeah, on a big screen. Uh, And I think it's all the more amazing, really, for me to see it on a small screen, in the sense that, you know, I think it's quite radical in a way, yeah, to have 68 minutes of which, I don't know, 60 are dancing <laughs> yeah well it, that's interesting because I was still kind of thinking um, you know we've said wouldn't it be great to sit on a big screen but actually thinking about it specifically not just on a small screen but as television like I said before with mm. Mangrove the idea of it being piped into people's homes mm. you know how do you think it plays to an audience that may be just really not expecting a film of this form well I mean obviously it's playing very well but you know I just think it's kind of like a radical thing to do I mean yeah. I think it's in, I think it's easy to imagine people switching off I don't know I, I don't think so which is not a criticism of the film as much as and it's not even actually that much of a criticism of the people but it's just like there is something less fitting about this on television than um, I'm not sure I mean you know we were gripped so why wouldn't other people be you know I, I personally would like to have seen it on a big screen because I want that experience of being even more enveloped in it, right? I mean, we were completely absorbed in it as is, right? You know, but I just think, you know, uh, seeing it on a big screen would have made it even better for me. No, no, I appreciate that. But I guess, I mean, kind of, um, you know, not everyone is into film like we are. A lot of people, and so you imagine a lot of people going, what's this? There's no story <laughs> turning it off. Maybe. You know. You know, um, but I, but, uh, you know, I mean, why should Which people... is why, I, but I think that just makes it more daring to put on TV. I don't think that's really impressive that it has made it on TV. I think that's a great thing. Actually, this is the kind of thing that, that kind of channels should be funding. Well, absolutely. But also, I mean, kind of, you know, let's, let's not get egotistical here. I mean, you know, we found it absorbing. Why wouldn't other people? And, you know, the reviews have been fantastic. I mean, I'd, I'd be curious to know the viewing figures... I mean, I do think this isn't publicized enough, um, you know. So we'll see how many people actually do tune in, and mm. yeah, whether it's a success. I mean, I hope it's a success. It deserves to be a success, um, yeah. And whether it is or not, particularly this episode, would be interesting to find out. I mean, yeah. I don't think it's an ego thing. I mean, it's easy. To, it's easy for it to sound like an ego thing, and I was aware of it. Mm. possibly sounding like that like oh I, I, I like this because I'm smart and other people just would turn off but that's not what I mean but I mean like this is something that I think would be easy to turn viewers off because it doesn't have some of the obvious ways to grip people I think you're underestimating the power of the music and well, the power funny. of nostalgia right kind mm. of you know this is the music that people my age and younger you know would have listened to would be familiar with there's a nostalgic appeal to all of that, right? And then there's the power of the music itself, right? I mean, you know, if, if people watch endless episodes of, uh, you know, 
kind of uh, music videos on top of the pops and stuff like that. Why wouldn't they watch this? That's you know? fair. Um, so, all right. So, highly recommend you see it. Looking forward to seeing the rest of of the series. Of the series. Thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you. Cheerio. Thank you.